prison, dinner was always a big thing. We had a pasta course, and then we had a meat or a fish. Paulie did the prep work. He was doing a year for contempt, and he had this wonderful system for doing the garlic. He used a razor, and he used to slice it so thin that it used to liquefy in the pan with just a little oil. It's a very good system. Vinny was in charge of the tomato sauce. Ah, got the smell. But treat the kinds of meat in the meatballs. You've got the veal, beef, and pork. Ah, good, but you gotta have the pork. Pork oh, is the that's, that's the flavor. I felt he used too many onions, but it was still a very good sauce. Vinny, don't put too many onions in the sauce. I didn't put too much onions in there. Oh? Three small onions, that's all I did. Three onions? How many cans of tomatoes you put in there? I put two cans, two big cans. You don't need three onions. Johnny Deal did the meat. We didn't have a broiler, so Johnny did everything in pans. I used to smell up the joint something awful, and the hacks used to die, but he still cooked a great steak. Hey, how do you like yours? Red, medium red. Mm, See, you know, it, when you think of prison, you get pictures in your mind of all those old movies with rows and rows of guys behind bars. But it wasn't like that for wise guys. It really wasn't that bad. Except that I missed Jimmy. He was doing his time in Atlanta. I mean, everybody else in the joint was doing real time, all mixed together, living like pigs. But we lived alone. I mean, we own the joint. Even the hacks we couldn't bribe would never rat on the guys that we did. Vinny, I got your peppers and onions. Salami, prosciutto, a lot of cheese. Come on, come on, what else? Got nice. Some red wine. Okay. Now we can eat. I got some white, too. Give me the white, too. Beautiful. Okay, boys, let's eat. Come on. Good evening, everybody. Dave Jessica podcast with you. First week of August, 2016. Oh, it's going to be a hell of a podcast today. It's a beautiful day in New York City. I mean, a beautiful day in New York City. It is not hot. It is cool. It's perfect the way we like our weather. And, of course, I've got nothing to do because it's not hot. It seems like the only times I have something to do is when it's, like, ridiculously humid and hot and I come everywhere all sweaty. And, God, that is just a horrible thing to do. But here we are on August, taping on August 3rd, one day after the Godfather performance at the Village Underground, the year of the Godfather. Oh yeah, that and more coming up on an all new Dave Juskow podcast. All right, let's just get going. <laughs> well, I like to make it more epic, you know. Anyway, um, there's a uh, a huge fire brewing where I'm watching, uh, looking over in Queens. Uh, lots of black smoke. I uh, I have no idea what it is. It looks like it's kind of under control sometimes, and then it's not because they have that stupid building that's blocking my view in um, on Roosevelt Island. So now I can't see what's happening. But it is a lot of black smoke. And I'm not being racist. No, seriously, it's black smoke. But now it looks like it may be dissipating. I can't tell. It keeps going back and forth. But it's definitely a fire. 
I just noticed it must have started around 7.20 or so. I wonder if that's in the Citibank building. And, you know, um, would that be a bad thing if the Citibank building caught on fire? Does anybody go there? Does anybody go to that old Citibank building in Queens anymore? Does anybody even work there in Long Island City? I used to work there in the 80s because no one, no one wanted to work there. And I'm like, I'll go. Yeah, it's down the block from where I live. I was living in Astoria, taking a drink. I got one of those Starbucks Starbucks frappuccinos today. I am hungover. I am big time hungover. I hope our show doesn't suffer. Let me turn off this ridiculous music and get let's get set here. All right, um, played the Goodfellas opening because uh, I really can't do any more Godfather stuff. <laughs> Concentrating on the next show, which I really want to be Goodfellas. You know, isn't it fascinating when you listen to a clip like that? And you hear all the uh, stuff that you miss. It's like, yeah, you used to be able to live with your doors open and stuff. You know, I, I never heard that stuff in the movie before. When you're listening to just the audio, it's completely fascinating. You can also tell where, like, the edits come. Uh, I just just heard it for the first time without watching it uh, in my headphones, just as you did, maybe. And it's uh, fascinating to listen to. I almost want to play it again. I don't think anybody would care, but I won't. Um, because... God, it's so good. That scene is so awesome. That food always looks so delicious. He's making the sauce. Three small onions. Three small onions. He had a great system for the garlic. The reason I brought it up is because yesterday in The Godfather, I put that scene in. Uh, I'll tell you more about that in a second. Um, Just a few things first. Uh, No. Well, uh, last week... I uh, we had the we had the lovely Jenny Lynn, Jenny Lynn Rodriguez on podcast and that was um, a long one, but uh, people said they liked it. I was I wasn't sure I wasn't sure I was going to go, but I always found you know the match game stuff very interesting. It still makes me angry about like how she doesn't get paid. I thought that was kind of fascinating, but uh, she was an interesting guest, and I saw her yesterday and she looked beautiful. Of course, did a pretty good job. I'm I'm not happy with anybody's performance, but. I am very happy with yesterday's show in general. And as you know, last time we uh, saw each other for the May 3rd one, I was not happy on May 4th recording this podcast. I was very upset. Uh, I felt I messed up, and I I, I believe I told you I I should have even gotten a clip. I'm like, I'm not going to let it happen again. This time, I I upped my game, I think. I I wrote a better script. Um, I really concentrated and I, I think it was great. And I, I the, you know, not one, nobody ever said, eh, it was a little long. No, nobody ever said that. So that's your first good sign right there. Um, and it was a lot of fun. I think people were very happy. And everybody, just, they just loved it. They were, uh, I, I couldn't have been more thrilled. You know, I mean, there's nothing better than the owner of the place loving it and your fellow actors loving it and appreciating you. Uh, putting them into work, and uh, that, of course, makes me nothing but happy. You do get a certain sense of pride. Not, not, you know, when, when something. I, I know I didn't write The Godfather, but most of the dialogue is rewritten because that's the fun. And and sometimes when you rewrite a lot of the lines, I mean, certainly all the laugh lines are mine. Um. There is a major sense of pride when everybody's laughing at your work, even if you have other people getting the laughs. It's um, it's a very, very good feeling. 
And uh, I don't think I'm one of those people that would have problems. I don't think I've ever had problems with other people's getting laughs. You know, everybody knows it's my project. It's my thing. So the hell do I care? Uh, that's why I left Natterman, Dan Natterman, as Michael Corleone. He was doing a, an amazing job. The plan for me was that I was going to be Michael Corleone at this part because I was doing the Brando and then I have nothing to do. But Dan was doing such a great job. And again, you'll hear all of this next week. I'll, I'll probably, I think next week I'm going to play the, uh... yeah, actually next week is, well, next week's my birthday kind of, I usually, that will be fine. I think next week I'll probably play the podcast, the whole uh, show, you know, its entirety, like I always do, and uh, then you can see for yourself. You'll see for yourself. It's a different kind of show. I, I think it was really nonstop laughs. I got to say, um, I'm, I'm very pleased. You know, Artie showed up right at the beginning of the show. I don't think he had ever seen the script before in his life. Uh, <laughs> it was the exact opposite of last time. I don't know what happened. Um, he showed up just exactly at like, you know, quarter to eight. He's like, hey, do you have a copy of the script? And I'm like, yeah. Then I quickly highlighted all of his lines. He's like, wait, I'm in the whole thing? And I'm like, yeah. Uh, you know, it's one of those things. Remember, I keep joking around that. I don't think anybody in my show has actually seen The Godfather because what I'm trying to explain to him, and it's it's really, uh, you know, the owner, Gnome, is always, he's like, He's always backing me up. He's like, no, say it this way, because he knows what I'm trying to get out of them. You don't want to be rude. You don't want to keep telling them how to say the lines. But sometimes you just get frustrated because, you know, it's from the movie, and you want people to have the experience of the lines, certain lines done exactly the right way. So when I tell Lenny Marcus to say... uh, you know, he's saying this thing. Um, I, I bought the script with me, just so we could go over some of the, the some of the really great parts. Um, you know, like uh, he. You know, we have this whole thing where, and I don't care about giving it away. Where we have this thing, he's like, um, "So lots of it's not." Um, Sonny's like, no, no more. Not this time, Consigliere. No more meetings. No more discussions. No more Salazzo tricks. Now, obviously, he doesn't. Do with that great, but it's Russ Maneev. But the guy's adorable, so you're going to use him all the time. You give him one message, I want Salazzo. If not, it's all out war, we go to the mattresses. He's like, why is your answer always going to the mattresses? Do you even know what that means? He's like, I thought it meant you get a blowjob while, while you're taking a shit. He's like, that's a blumpkin, you idiot. It is? Then what's a Lucky Pierre? That's when three French gay guys have sex. The guy in the middle is called Lucky Pierre. I thought that was a French dip. And then he goes... That's a sandwich, Sonny. God damn it. Your father wouldn't want to hear this. This is business, not personal, Sonny. And it's disgusting. So it's like you have these made-up lines. And then I said, Lenny, it's like you're, you're, you're building to what it is in the movie. God damn it. Your father wouldn't want to hear this. This is business, not personal. Um, but I don't know. You know, you just can't explain it to them. I mean, I know they've all, I'm pretty sure they've seen it. I know it's just a nitpicky thing, but the entire project is nitpicky. I feel like my levels are bursting. I, You know, last week I was very upset with um, my levels. I, I, I see now I when I put my thing away, something was wrong. I felt like I was in another room from Jenny Lynn, but I think I got it mostly fixed until I, uh, when I talk loud except for that. But it's these little things, these little things that make this particular project what it is. 
So when I'm doing Tessio and I say, after the, after the whatever thing, Sonny got mad. We hit Bruna Tatalia four o'clock this morning. Now, when I say four o'clock, we know I'm doing Abe Vigoda. And the people that know the movie love it, right? They get it. They appreciate me putting in the time to say four o'clock <laughs> this morning. So that's the thing. It's like these little, little bits of knowing the movie so well or what the people enjoy that love the movie. Now, granted, there were, would you say, 30% of out of 200 people there last night that may never have seen the movie. So they don't care, but they're like, that's really funny the way he says four o'clock. Um, you know, there were plenty of people there, and that's the highest compliment you can get. People that haven't seen the movie that liked the show or that loved the show and just found it funny and, and thought what we were doing was fun. I did my stand-up first, you know. I think that went well. I was, uh, you know, nervous about that all day. And then Sam Morell got up. He was he was fantastic. It went a little long, but he was having a rough day, so I, I let it go because uh, he needed the encouragement from the people. And then... Um, you know, we just started off, so we had the uh, scene from I had the scene from Goodfellas where you know um, Clement is stirring the sauce, and he's like, "Yeah, yeah, you, know, you fry it, you just made it." And Michael goes, "I had a friend doing a year for contempt, and he had this wonderful system for doing the garlic. He used a razor, he used to slice it so thin that it used to liquefy in the pan." I made the whole dialogue, and he goes, "How many onions did you use? Three small onions." So I had them play Layla in the background while he was saying it. Now, you know. The 20 people there out of, again, 200 who got it thought that was the greatest thing, you know, because it's, you know, for us and the folks that listen to this podcast, you, you know how it is. We're, we're pulling in all the genres. I've got some Trading Places references in there. I've got, um, uh, what do you call it? Uh, my cousin Vinny, right? At the end, I have Natterman going, and he just doesn't understand i mean i'm telling you the kid did a great performance i mean he was fantastic but it's just so frustrating sometimes when people just don't understand now i get not understanding a lot of the intent i don't know what you call it but you know the the idiosyncrasies the the you know the nitty-gritty of of certain films but i know they've all seen it but i guess you know Listen, that's me. That's why I've been doing imitations for years. I like to get down to the smallest detail of a film and and do that detail because I know that people like it, will respect it. And, I mean, it's a perfect example when I do stupid scenes from Hannah and her sisters. Hannah and her fucking sisters, Woody Allen movie. I sit there, I'm doing my, um, uh, you know, uh, the Max von Sydow, and when I'm doing the lines... I have to have him eating the sandwich because that's what's happening. So his dialogue comes out like, I watched television today. And I saw the, another movie on Auschwitz and the Holocaust. Could you imagine the same question? You know, it's like you can see I'm eating the sandwich because that's, you know, that's the way, you know, that's the way people that have seen the movie will appreciate like, wow, we even added the sandwich thing. I mean, it's like the most important thing. So like, here's a great example. When Michael first is uh, saying that he's going to meet the, uh, when he's going to meet the, he's going to he's going to take the meeting, and kill them both. 
Now, here's the, here's the line, right? They want to have a meeting with me, right? It'll be me, McCluskey, and Salazzo. Let's set the meeting. Get our informers to find out where it's going to be held. Now, we insist it's in a public place, a bar, a restaurant, a Ramada Inn, the Chuckle Hut Comedy Clove in Cleveland, the Men's Bathhouse in Chelsea, you know, someplace where there's people, so I'll feel safe. Now, that's the gag, right? He just keeps rolling off the line. So I'm explaining to him, like, no, it, it kind of builds, it rolls, a, a bar, a restaurant, but he, he, he just couldn't get it right. You know, he's like, I mean, it still worked. He's like, a bar, a restaurant, a Ramada Inn, Chuckle Hut, you know, like, it still works, but it's just like he doesn't get the rhythm because I guess they're not actors either. They are comedians. And that's the other thing, and Jenny Lynn was, was great at certain... Uh, parts, you know, her voice, absolutely, we know she sounds really good. And she goes, Michael, tell me you love me. You know, like that kind of stuff was was great. But that one scene, the reason why I was trying to get a different actress than the one I had last time, I don't, I don't know, you know, it's, it's, a, it's a tough one. It's hard to describe. I felt bad. She came in. I just kept stopping her, like changing it because, you know, I just want it the way I want it. I got an hour to explain to people the inflections, and if they don't get it, then there's nothing I can really do about it. Uh, you know, you just got to kind of put it up and hope for the best. Uh, Richard Klein, Larry from Three's Company, did an amazing job as Salazzo. I mean, and that's what even like uh, Noam, the owner, said, you know, because we did the podcast afterwards, which was fantastic, the Comedy Seller podcast. Um, it was like, it's so interesting when you have a real actor and he was saying that all in front of us, you know, me and, and uh, Russ and Dan and Lenny. We were all there. And, and, but we, nobody took it as an insult. We know Richard Klein's an actual actor. And it's very interesting when you have a real actor there. You know the difference. You can see the difference. You can see his tone, his pace. Um, you know, the way he does it, he's not, you know, it's, 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 it's interesting. But how happy am I that he's happy? And... Oh, so then the best part was, and I, I couldn't have been happier... Uh, we called to attention why Tessio knows the the pull chain toilets. You know, he goes, sure, they got an old-fashioned toilet, you know, the the, the, the box and the, 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 the chain thing. Uh, we might be able to tape the gun behind it. Uh, I've been getting so good at Avagon, it's like ridiculous. Um, so he, Michael's like, ew, absolutely not. I'm not putting my hand back there. That's like a box full of water and duty in it. Forget it. And how in God's name are you so familiar with the toilets in a particular restaurant? Why would the name Louis in the Bronx register for you? Oh, yeah, the one with the pull chain toilets. And then he, and then he tests them and he goes, all right, I'm going to test you for a second. Sardis, a closed coupled toilet with a pipe connecting the cistern to the pan is exposed. Lindy's on 49th Street. That's a back-to-wall toilet with the pipes are discreetly hidden. Lou Chow's. That's one of those new water-efficient dual-flush ones. Well, the man knows his toilets. I mean, this stuff is gold. Gold, Jerry. Gold. So that's some of the uh, scenes I just wanted to... Uh, that's the kind of fun you can uh, get into next week when we play the entire show for you, episode three. Getting set now, starting today, after my hangover wears off, to episode four, which I promise to be outstanding. I get sorry, my cat's an idiot. 
Uh, that is November 15th. Tuesday, November 15th. Save the date, folks. It's going to be an unbelievable date. Tuesday, November 15th, episode four, Godfather 1. And um, I got a really great opening for it. I don't know where the rest is going to go. And then, I, and then we just kind of, I mean, we confirmed the date for the finale, the year of the Godfather finale. All the heads of the five families are getting killed. February 7th. Okay, now, the choice was February 7th, the 14th, the 21st, or the 28th. It's got to be in February. February February 14th, no, right? Are you kidding? We're not going to have any girls there. And and how bad, how hilarious. I really should do it the 14th because how hilarious would it be if guys have to draft their wives? Honey, I got to see the finale. (laughs) I mean, that would be the funniest thing. What? We are not going to that stupid Godfather show. We've been there four times already. But we got to see how it ends. Well, he's an idiot for planning it on Valentine's Day. You are not going to that show. I swear to God, Lenny, you're not going to that show. That's Lenny Marcus's girlfriend. No, that's a joke. Um, I think I feel like I'm sorry. I feel like I'm. My sound is kind of blasting a little bit. Let me take it down a little. Maybe it's my imagination. I don't know. What do you think? Anyway, yeah, I think that's better. Uh, so then, February twenty first, I think, is the Tuesday after uh, George Washington's birthday or President's Day. So, no. No, because why would I want to, you know, schedule? You know how I just dropped the scripts off before in the week? No, no. So we got it down to February 7th or February 28th. February 28th seems too late. So the pro- the only problem with February 7th, that it's not a problem because we've decided to book it February 7th, it is two days after the Super Bowl. Now, for anyone else, this is not an issue. But you know me, and last year, year I it took me a few days to recover from the Super Bowl remember I lost a lot of money I was very angry I was very depressed I guess the question is can I not drink a lot for the Super Bowl and can I not gamble a lot if I win then that Tuesday is going to be unbelievable but if I lose On the flip side of that, you know, I make some money from the show, so that's something. But I don't want to be in a non-festive situation, you know. But February 28th is too too far away. Yeah. So I guess I just convinced myself February 7th, two days after the Super Bowl. I mean, that Saturday before the Super Bowl is not a big deal. I can still drop off the scripts and everything. I guess we'll be okay. I mean, what, what's the difference? What's the difference Tuesday after the Super Bowl? Who gives a shit? I mean, I'm not going to be celebrating that. The Jets aren't going to be in it, so I don't have to worry about that. Wouldn't that be funny if they were? But then somebody, uh, somebody was just telling me, you should do it. I think it was Chris Murphy. He said, you should do it after the Super Bowl because then you'll have the Super Bowl to talk about in your stand-up. You know, like I always have to come up with new material uh, before the show, and you know, I haven't had new material in over 25 years, so it's very difficult for me. Uh, so then I could just talk about the Super Bowl, and I could probably talk about that, and that could be funny. So you know what? 
February 7th. November 15th? February 7th. February 7th, I'm finding a very interesting way that's been on my mind to kill the heads of the five families because I got to make it. I mean, I got to make this spectacular. Everybody who's been coming to the show has been coming to almost every show. I got to make the last one spectacular. Today, people from my office, they were right now, it's like, how come you only doing it every three months? I'm like, oh, okay, you'd be able to come every month. You'd be, you know, I mean, first of all, I I couldn't possibly, I thought I could when I first started it. And then I realized it's a a much more daunting task than I had thought. Plus, um, it makes it special every three months. And we got the football show February 27th. And Friday, August 5th, I'll be at the Borgata. The Borgata, I'm opening for Artie. It's a done deal. It's doing a couple minutes, you know, because I don't know what I'm doing. I don't think I can do the stuff I did last night. Maybe I could. I don't know. Last night I was just talking about how, and you know me, uh, how the, the, oh my God, I told you I was hungover. Robert Duvall, Al Pacino, James Caan, all nominated for Best Supporting Actor uh, the same year for Godfather. And they all lost to Joel Gray from Cabaret. Hey, everybody. Oh my God, I can't even believe this is happening. And just like, I said, like, if you look at if you look at the 1973 Oscars, it, you can actually see James Caan turn to the right to his, whoever he was with and just go like, "What the fuck is happening?" <laughs> you can see his mouth move to that way, and it's like the speeches are so. You know, if you you know if you had a time machine you'd, and you do it the opposite way, the speeches are so so on either side of the spectrum. On the other side of the spectrum, it's like. You know, if James Conner got up, he'd be like, hey, I'd like to thank Marlon Brando. God, he's amazing. Al Pacino. I can't even believe I'm working with these guys. This is unbelievable. Diane Keaton. I mean, these are amazing actresses. And then Joel Gray gets up and he goes, first of all, I have to thank, of course, Liza. Liza Minnelli is one of the greatest. And then, of course, Bob Fosse for directing. Hello. I mean, I, I mean, how funny. I mean, you got the exact opposite in that Oscars. The exact opposite. If you, you know, if this was today and we all knew about, you know, the guy we're watching a hundred times and we're sitting there and we're like, it's got to win, it's got to win, it's the best movie ever made. And then all this, it would be like, if, it would be like if, if Joe Pesci lost for Goodfellas, if he lost to Joel Gray. I mean, it's the same thing that now we can, you know, maybe we were a little too young for that back then. But we would know if Joel Gray, if, if Joe Pesci, who was, if you, I mean, if you, again, when we talk about, when we went over the best act- actors, we have to go over the best supporting actors of deserving awards, people that deserved a supporting actor, and it wasn't just a, a throwaway one, like, uh, you know, that they're just giving them away because of body of work. Oh, you're going to tell me Joe Pesci didn't deserve an award for Goodfellas. You're an asshole. I mean, that, I, I mean, just today, I just, I, I'm just, I'm, I'm sitting there, and I'm like, this, this guy's unbelievable. Your trunk. Pick up a shovel at my mother's house. She keeps a shovel right around here somewhere. Just keep quiet. I don't want to wake her up. Oh, hey. Yeah, look who's here. Look who's here. Hey, Mom, what's going on? 
You know, it's so messed up for uh, somebody to be so evil, you know, in a movie to be so funny. I mean, some of those lines are laugh out loud funny. So, Ma, I got to borrow this knife. Or, I'm going to give it back to you. I'm going to give it. I mean, it's so funny. I mean, it's like, you know, if we were to do Goodfellas next after The Godfather, I don't know whether it'll work because there's so many scenes that are like that. That whole scene is amazing. It's like it just seems like a like an episode of Curb Your Enthusiasm. Like the mother with it, and it's, you know, it, you know, we know it's Scorsese's mom, and she's like, uh, I mean, it's just so weird. She goes, "Did he tell you about my paintings?" Do you remember paintings? He goes, "Yeah, I like this painting. You got one dog looking this way, you got one dog going this way." And the other guy's like, "I don't know what the hell's going on over here." <laughs> I mean, it, did he improvise? This? Is that in the script? I mean, but the the point is, is that Joe Pesci. I mean, they were all bringing that movie, but Joe Pesci was absolutely no hands down about it deserving of an oscar let alone the classic you know what's so funny about me i mean that's 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 an iconic scene in itself in american movie history now 
So he was completely deserving of an Oscar. And if you're going to tell me, you know, some fruit. Uh, <laughs> no, but I'm saying, I mean, if you're going to tell me that some guy, uh, you know, playing a, like a, you know, a queen and, you know, a cabaret show, like just because, you know, and nowadays, like if, a, you know, some transvestite was going to win because we felt that was the PC choice. Oh, fuck you. Because this was a performance. Was Joel Grey good in cabaret? Maybe. But he's not James Conn. James Conn was amazing. That's the best thing he'll ever do. It was the best thing he ever did. He, I don't think he has one body of work that, that surpasses it, which is why he's just kind of not around anymore. I don't know. Apparently, he's hard to work with, too. But I'm just saying, I mean, it's um, it's messed up. Uh, you know, when you, I don't know. <laughs> it's just bothersome that uh, they none of those guys were. I guess they canceled each other out, but still, that is a very odd way to go. Um, anyway, that was my joke, and it just uh, I obviously didn't talk for an hour and a half and then play a clip from Goodfellas when I was on stage last night. I'm also looking at that fire across the street. It's dissipated, but um, now I think it's like, you know, kind of the smoke is billowing, but you can see it's going out, so it's like white smoke now. I guess they elected a new pope today. Or something, but it's just, it was just so big that it was like I was like getting a little nervous, like September 11th nervous, because that's what it looks like. Um, and uh, sorry, it, it 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 did throw my uh, my conversation. Um, what else did I want to talk about? I mean, there's so much I wanted to talk about. Uh, okay, I um, what was that? I, I I did the Howard Stern show. I did the Howard Stern show when we last left you. The next day, I was going on the Howard Stern wrap-up show, which I did, which I can't even believe I did. It's a dream come true. Um, it, it, up until I got to the studio, I still thought something was wrong. When I got there, they didn't have my name, you know, but it was under a different name. I was just like, it's something is up. Something's fishy. Remember, I just emailed, and I'm like, can I be on? And they're like, okay. And... Uh, and then everybody kept sending me texts of the scroll, the scroll that says, the, you know, on your serious radio, on your phone, it says the Howard Stern show wrap up with Dave Juskow. That was the scroll. Everybody was sending me screenshots. It was amazing. But the, the show itself, um, although, you know, fun and interesting, uh, I just listened to it today because I, I was having trouble listening to it. I didn't think that it went that well. Uh, I didn't think I was, you know, funny enough because you're really um, trying to just get a word. It's almost like being on Sherrod's show, uh, Race Wars, because you're just trying to get a word in edgewise. Gary and John are talking and talking and talking, and Steve Brandano just says, you're going to have to jump in. Those guys will continue talking if you don't jump in. So you're trying to pick your place. You're trying not to be a dick. You're trying to be funny instantly, but if you want to get to a story, you got to do it quick because they're just staring at you. They, I, I, I must say they, they did not make me feel very welcome. Um, I've met Gary before. I, he probably doesn't remember me. I, I've said he's been to my house before. There's all these things, and... Um, he came in and we talked for a little bit, but it, but it wasn't a friendly banter. It was very businesslike. And then meeting John Hine was, exact, Hine was exactly the same way. Um, so I, I, I didn't feel very comfortable in the studio. And on the flip side of that, the funny thing is, is that that new guy Brent that they have, if you listen to the Howard Show, um, this guy Rashid or whatever, Rashad, 
Uh, they were all nothing but nice, delightful smiles. Hey, Dave, how you doing? Steve Brandano, unbelievable. I met Will. I mean, everybody was so nice except for those two guys. It was very odd. I don't know whether they're just miserable that they're there on a day when Howard's not there. I was there on a live week, but Howard wasn't there on Thursday. He only works Monday through Wednesday. Uh, or if that's just the way they are every day and they're just miserable doing the show, I can't really figure it out. But, uh, yeah, it wasn't it wasn't very welcoming. So I was very, very nervous up front. And there's a couple things I wish to God I could probably take back. Um, tried to get the this, this stuff out. When they plugged my show, he said, uh, The Godfather's every Tuesday at the Comedy Cellar. I'm like... I don't want to correct them. I could either correct them or I could talk about what The Godfather is. I had the choice. I just went with that because I figured, well, at least it's on this Tuesday. Um, you know, because I was thinking, you know, people are going to run out, buy tickets. We're going to need a second show. Uh, but that wasn't necessary. We, we did turn people away again. It was completely sold out. But, you know, people buy it the day of. So, uh, you know, I, I, I wouldn't mind doing a second show, but it's going to have to, you know, I'm going to have to be promoting it on, you know, Saturday Night Live or something to have to do, actually do a second show. Um, I just want everybody to see it who wants to see it because we like performing it. Uh, although I don't know whether I could have done a second show because my voice was shot. Because, you know, I, I do McCluskey uh, when I'm, I'm screaming, usually people's opens, which I don't know why. I tried to talk lesser into the microphone, but the music is playing over me. And I, I can't tell whether people can hear. So I try to be a little loud, but then I was doing McCluskey, and, and I, hey, you little, stand him up, stand him up straight. Who are you to talk to me like that? You tell me how to do my job. Oh, I really hit it last night. It was really good. <laughs> I mean, I was good in that. I was good in Tessio. I also did the narrators, Charlton Heston, which was fun. So I was speaking a lot. So I don't think my voice can hold out for the second show. Let me tell you something. I was on the Pete Holmes show I told you last week. I did the Pete Holmes show. So I finally listened to it, or listened to half of it. You know, that's a two and a half hour show. So I listened to half of it on Saturday on my way home from Soul Cycle. Thank you very much. Walking through Central Park, delivering scripts to uh, the, the people in the show, trying to hit two birds with one stone, exercise and work on The Godfather at the same time. Very productive on Saturday. Um, so I'm listening to the podcast, and the whole time Pete Holmes keeps calling me Harvey Picar. Now, I guess I knew who it was, but I'd never seen the movie American Splendor, and that's who it's based on. American Splendor is based on this car- this cartoonist, Harvey Picar. Now, some of you may know it, but I didn't. I've never seen the movie. I didn't understand what it was about. After somebody told me, I kind of remember, after seeing the movie, I kind of totally remember seeing this guy on Letterman show years ago and stuff, and it was interesting. He says, you remind me of Harvey Picar. You remind me of Harvey Picar, also played by Paul Giamatti. You know how upset that makes me. If anybody says I look like Paul Giamatti, I really get angry. Remember, we talked about it a few months ago when that girl told me I looked like Paul Giamatti. We were kissing. She told me I looked like Paul Giamatti. And she said, no, 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 that's okay. He's Italian, which was code for we hate the Jews. Uh, <laughs> um, I don't mind when people tell me I look like Nicolas Cage. I much prefer that. But the Paul Giamatti, I guess, is just the bald and the fat. And uh, he's a very, very unattractive man. <laughs> and so it's very insulting to me. And... So why, So anyway, on Sunday, I said, you know what? I'm going to check out this American Splendor if he says it's me. And I just got so depressed. The guy really does. I'm very similar. I'm very similar. And I'm also not, but he's very angry. He walks down the street scowling. I mean, certainly been there, but we've all been like that. Usually I'm kind of happy-go-lucky, but he was very depressed. 
He sits at home. He has a regular job, and he had the regular job be- while he was famous. Uh, I knew that was the parallel that he was saying, but then there were these other things that I didn't notice. He's going to the supermarket. He's picking up SpaghettiOs. I'm like, oh, my God, that's exactly what I do. What a loser. He loves orange soda. Everyone knows I love orange soda. It's, I'm like, um, it's creeping me out. Once I found out that he had a black cat, I'm like, holy shit. Holy shit. And then I just was so depressed for the weekend. So depressed. Now, I don't know why it would be depressing. It's kind of a very uplifting story. He meets this guy uh, very much in the way I meet like Sarah or David Tell. This guy, uh, Crumb, right? Uh, they made a movie about him too. And he's an, uh, an artist. But, oh, God, right. Then Harry Picard, start, he's trying to make a comic book, but he doesn't know how to draw. He writes stick figures. So do I. So he had illustrators come over, and then he would publish these books, and they started to become successful, and he got on Letterman. And, and and he kept losing his voice. He kept losing his voice. He lost his voice before he went Letterman. I always lose my voice before I go on a show. I'm always very, very uptight about it. I think it comes from stress and whatever. And oh, my God. I have so many similarities to him. And I just had to keep telling myself, no, I don't live in Cleveland. I live in New York City. I live in New York City. I live in a cosmopolitan place. It's different. I had to keep telling myself it's different. And then all of a sudden, he meets some girl, and he gets married, and then they kind of have, like, this adopted daughter. And I'm like, he's better than I am, you know, because he actually got a girl, and he, you know, got had a normal life in many ways. I'm like, damn it. So I'm so depressed. So depressed on Sunday. I'm like, I got to get out of this person. And then I was really depressed on Monday. I could not shake it. Uh, plus, the weather wasn't helping. It was a little rainy and stuff. Oh, I was like so uptight because, you know, I had the show coming up. I just wanted to be positive and everything. And that, oh, I should never have watched that movie. I don't know what made me think this was a good plan. Meanwhile, the movie was excellent. I mean, if I if I look back and I can ever watch it again, the movie was outstanding. It was very interesting. They go back and forth Paul before with back and forth between Paul Giamatti and the actual Harvey Pekar, and you see his actual wife, and you see the woman that plays her, Hope Davis, and Judah Friedlander. I had no idea he was in this movie and playing a character. I have never seen Judah Friedlander not play Judah Friedlander. And he was amazing. I guess I remember when people were telling me how good he was in it and I didn't understand. He was amazing. And I mean, he got this guy down because they show him too. Wow. Judah, what an actor. He's always wearing the world champion hat. I've never seen him do any acting. He was brilliant. I mean, I, I'm not sure why he wasn't nominated. He was that good. I had no idea. Judah was supposed to open my show, but he, um, I don't know, he never got back. He's crazy. But Sam Morell did an excellent job. He's very, very good. And he got gypped on uh, AGT, or so I'm told from my sister and uh, my nieces. By the way, we have a point in the movie, in The Godfather, where uh, Sonny goes, I don't know, what, what do you say? What do you say? What do you say? Bada beep, bada boop, bada boop. And I go like, he's like, what does that mean? Bada beep, bada boop. And he goes, uh, I don't know, maybe I can say it best in song. And then we play this one. Maybe you'll remember it. Zoom, Dad, zoom. 
Here's my favorite part, the futuristic. After the big drums. You hear it. That's some drum solo. There it is. I love you, so we did it like this. One hour took my baby for a ride in space. About a beep, bop. Bork, bop, bop. We met a little man with a funny, funny face. About a beep, beep, bop. Bork, bop, bop. He taught us both to wail this way. About a beep, beep, bop. Bork, bop, bop. Nobody digs a word we say. About a beep, bop. Bork, bop, bop. Bork, bop, bop. About a beep, bop. Bork, bop, bop. About a beep, bop. Bork, bop, bop. That means I love you. Come fly with me. Get high with me. We just cut to that part because, uh, you know, you don't want to keep it too long because half the audience is like, what the hell is happening? And the other half is like, oh, my God, they're doing this song for the Jetsons. Eep-op, ork, ah-ah. She just said I love you, dear. Eep-op, ork, ah-ah. Now when I reply the way I do, eep-op, ork, ah-ah. I just said I love you, too. Up orc ah ah, eep up orc ah ah, up orc ah ah. That means I love you. Come fly with me, or get high with me. Come on, fly with me. Now eep up orc ah I love you. The word, that word, that word, eep up orc means I love you. Come on, baby, I'll put you in orbit. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God, I remember that as a kid. I don't know how they came up with such a song, you know? Like, I mean, it's just a stupid cartoon, and they came up with something I remembered. And I don't know what made me think of it, but um, it was a fun little moment, and uh, I think people liked it. <laughs> You'll hear it. Obviously, I just keep going back to the Godfather. I'm thinking of things because it all happened, and it just went so good. I'm I'm just very proud of it. So then uh, afterwards, we went over to the Comedy Cellar, and then uh, we did the Comedy Cellar Sirius XM radio show, and the, with uh, Larry, you know, Richard Klein, and everybody went to, and and then I was able to start drinking, you know, because then I felt oh the show was a success, it was great. I mean, what's better than that? I'm having a beer and a shot, and a beer and a shot, and I'm just drinking. We're talking. It was fantastic. I was in such a good mood. I mean, think about it. I'm sitting at that podcast. I'm, I'm already doing this, but I'm surrounded by all my friends. I just saw everybody I went to. I, I, there were people from elementary school there. There were people from college. It was amazing. There were people from our old neighborhood. This Dawn Dry I'd, I'd seen in years. She went to college. And then the old neighborhood. My friend Lisa Bromowitz was there and her kids. My friend Lawrence was there and, and his nephew. I mean, it was it was amazing. My sister was there with my nieces. I have no idea what they like. <laughs> my, my sister said they did, but, you know, they don't laugh at anything and... Uh, I don't know, but it, you know, people from my Joe Messine, of course, was there. My friend Caitlin was there. It was it, it was really great, you know. Um, it was just uh, you know, now I don't want to leave anybody out that might be you know listen to the podcast and stuff. Uh, my uh, that that you know we we talk about that guy Connor who was uh, a student of my uh, old Sarah's old roommate Allison Solomon. She came and he came and his friends like a lot of nineteen year olds and stuff and. 
It was like really fun. So you were there with all your friends and family and people from the roller derby were there. I mean, it's like it it's like it's like um at the end of the Harvey Picar movie, he has a retirement party and you know, all his friends are there from the office and his home and everything. And it's like if my sad life ended that way, if I died tomorrow, the movie would end with this wonderful day with all my friends that I've ever met throughout my life. And, of course, my my great friend John Vitti came down from Boston on the train again just to see it, left at 6 in the morning. Uh, that's why I hadn't hung out till 6 in the morning because he had nowhere to go. I was like, well, what are we going to do? Well, we went out just dry. I didn't care because I was up for drinking. And then we went to Wohop. Um, then we walked a little bit. It was a beautiful night out. But it's like a, all your friends from all different places, elementary school, high school, college, work, different jobs of work, comedy, your, your friends in comedy, your best pals in comedy. I mean, it was amazing. I mean, that's what they would depict in a movie, that uh, your sister, your family, everybody was there, and it's a good show, and it's, uh, it was, and then, you know, then I die. And they're like, whatever happened? I don't know. I never came back. But you know what I'm saying? I mean, it's uh, it was great. And then to go over to the Comedy Cellar and then do the show with all those guys and Russ and Lenny and... You know, I'm going to Lenny's wedding. I mean, we're that close, you know. And then and Natterman and and Noam and and Richard, who I now consider one of my best friends, and Jenny Lynn was there, and she's so pretty, and you know, just adds just her being there always lifts everybody's spirits. And Colin, uh, the mu- the other musician guy, was just hanging out. I mean, it's just so much fun, and it was so great. And uh, that's a really great day, you know. And then then we went over to uh, this other bar that I always go to, you know, Shade. And I was hanging out there, and it's 3 in the morning, and, um, you know, John Vitti's from Boston. Everything closes at 10 p.m. there, so he's like, why are there people out? Like, the door was wide open. You just walk in, and then I'm banging on the glass because I see my friend Diane walk in, and she comes. It's 3 in the morning. He's like, I don't understand what's happening here. You know, then we go out to eat in Chinatown. It's 4 in the morning. You know, I'm like, no, this place open until 5. Um, it, it is fascinating. There's nothing funnier than somebody from out of town and then – you know, you you think that this is their life every day. You know, you, oh yeah, I run into people all the time. <laughs> you know, it's uh, it is kind of funny, but uh, I mean, you know, what a, that's a that's a that's a nice that's a nice time, and uh, it's funny to be so depressed two days before, and then you know, and then and then it's a, a nice day. New new people I just met, people that you know, fans of Artie's show or something that came down. Nice people that that listen to the podcast and um, great crowd. I mean, just lots of friendly people. And that's, that's, that's rare sometimes in comedy, you know, but it's it, like, like I've always said, that's why I probably do so well. That's why I'm a little nervous about the Artie show, but I really shouldn't be. It's all those people. It's people that love Artie like me. So if Artie thinks I'm funny, why shouldn't I be funny? It's just, I'm not a, I'm not a great standup. I'm not, I'm just not ready. I'm just not, you know, I mean, I'm ready, but I just don't have the material that I, should be having yet you know completely organized but you know i've always said it's a loaded crowd because they're there to have a good time it's like those old la crowds i used to talk about in the 80s when when i or the 90s when i was you know heavily doing stand-up you know you're in new york you're struggling you're trying to work it out you're really trying to make people laugh when i'd go to la it was like it was like a joke it was like um 
you know, I'd come in and be like, how you doing? They're like, ah, because they, they, they just couldn't wait. They're like, I'm in L.A., I'm in a comedy club. I know everybody's good. They, they couldn't wait to laugh. In New York, it's make me laugh. In L.A., at least back then, it was like, oh, my God, this is going to be amazing. So it was like I, yeah, anybody who was a New York-savvy comic would kill in L.A. And let me tell you, it was not the opposite. A lot of L.A. comics had a lot of trouble in New York because they just... I, there was a major difference. And the difference is, make me laugh, jerk off. And in L.A., it was just a lot easier. So a seasoned New York comic like myself at that time would just destroy there. It was amazing. It was a dream come true. I mean, I just had killer sets and improvising because the crowd was great. And, you know, just, uh, I don't think it's like that. I think it's, you know, even now. But, you know, certainly a, a Godfather crowd is very much like that LA crowd. They're there. They're, they're like, I can't wait for this. I can't wait for this. You know, it's um, it's a wonderful thing. And uh, let's just, uh, you know, Pete Holmes was saying on his podcast that, you know, his crowds are like that. And he's so lucky because he doesn't know whether he can handle, you know, the way we were talking about this. We we don't know whether we can handle a David Tell, a David Tell, you know, screaming out stuff crowd the way Dave can. Now, Dave's crowd is obviously they're older, they're better now, but they still love to scream stuff out because they know he can handle it. So that's what they're going to do. Oh, you know what I bought is I bought, I got a gift bag from the Howard Stern show. I thought I'd tell you what's inside. Um, it's not that exciting, but I thought I'd tell you anyway. There's a... Uh, I thought I'd go through the bag, right? I mean, I don't know. You know, it's a Howard Stern gift bag. So you get the bag, and it has Howard Stern's name on it. There's a Z clip in it, which is like a money clip. It's pretty nice. I'm just going through the bag right here. It's, it's just strange stuff. It's uh, There's a baseball cap uh, or double-cross vodka in it. Tommy John socks. You know, he's always uh, talking about Tommy John underwear. So Tommy John socks, which... That I can ironically, they're dress socks, which I can use, you know, for the office. Um, some protein chips. There's a lot of healthy stuff in here. There's a, what is this? Red Lotus Botanical Elixirs. It's a cranberry infused drink. I don't know why. I don't think Howard would have given this away 20 years ago. Um, peanut butter flip. What the? F protein powder? Peanut butter flavor protein powder. I'm like feeling it. It's like, it's like soft, like peanut butter. Well, what do you use? What do you use that for? Does it? What would you use this for? I don't think you could. Oh, perfect shake. Oh, you put it in a shake. One packet Quest protein. Is that what this is? Yeah. With eight ounces of cold water blend. Oh, that sounds horrible. Uh. Oh, there's an. Oh, I get two free audiobooks from audible.com. Maybe I'll get The Godfather. Yeah, that's what this was, I guess. And another Pine Brothers Softish Throat Drops. Well, ironically, probably need these. Soothing America's throats for over 140 years. And a Lactona toothbrush. <laughs> that's from Wonderama. Uh, we got, oh, and the Howard Stern, uh, you know, the fist keychain, the satellite uh, serious uh, fist keychain. That's kind of cool. And that's it. You know, I like the bag better than anything else. I don't think I'm going to eat any of this healthy stuff. I mean, come on. <laughs> Look at me. But uh, I don't know why I'm putting it back. I could probably do that later. You don't need to be annoyed by me putting it back. Am I right? Am I right, people? How are you? How you doing? 
But uh, yeah, so let's um, move on. There was some news I wanted to tell you about. I feel like I'm missing something, but no. We're doing the Borgata. And then uh, I'm going to the Mets game on Thursday. I'm very excited about that. I got those seats where you get all-inclusive foods. So I want to see how that works. I've never done that before. Kendall Jenner is dating... This, I can't even pronounce it. Is it A-S-A... It's A-Money-Sign-A-P-Rocky. That's how old I am. I feel like I'm the oldest fucking person on the planet. A-S-A-P-Rocky. Kendall Jenner is dating ASP. Like, I look up this guy. He's black. I'm not being racist. What the fuck is with these Jenner kids, these Kardashians that only date black guys? What What is that? I, I, I get it. I, I'm not being prejudiced. I'm just saying it's kind of weird, right? They all date black guys only? Isn't that odd? It, it, it seems like one of the daughters would date. Well, remember that one, uh, Courtney was dating, uh, married to that Scott Disick. I think I was the biggest prick on the planet. So maybe that's the reason, but it's just kind of weird. God, they can't, they just love the black guys. It's just so interesting. That's why I don't know. Maybe OJ was their father. So listen to this. The American Dental Association insists on its site that flossing is an essential part of taking care of your teeth and gums. Right? Everybody knows that, right? However, last year, the Associated Press asked Departments of Health and Human Services and Agriculture for the evidence because they have to provide the guidelines of why that's the case. Otherwise, they have to take it off their site. Well, they did. They took it off the site. They took off that flossing is an important part, an essential part, of taking care of keys and guns because they have no proof. The American Dental Association doesn't have any proof. So all of a sudden, the flossing recommendation has been removed. The government acknowledged that flossing has never been effectively researched. Isn't that interesting? It's so funny. What do I tell you all the time? I'm like, you know, we, you just got to wait a couple years and then everything you do, they're going to say it's fine or it's not fine. So like I've always said, uh, you know, they say red meat's bad for you, but then they say red meat's good for you. You know, in moderation, of course. Uh, they say uh, coffee's bad for you. They're like, well, no, maybe one cup's good a day. They always say wine's good for you. That seems to always be consistent. And I would have thought till the day I died that flossing would have been consistent. I mean, it's kind of weird. There's just nobody's done any research to see that it actually helps. I mean, the funny thing is, I never floss. Like, everybody probably i never floss you know until the day i go to the dentist now because i waited 20 years to go to the dentist i had 10 cavities in a root canal uh i go to the dentist now i changed this one horrible dentist i go to this really great one now on 57th street and i floss now um i go every four months so I never felt I had to floss because i'm like i'm going every four months who cares and they do the the stuff for work but then i noticed i was getting all this Stuff on my teeth that I didn't like, like tar and stuff like, you know, on the two bottom front teeth. And that was making me upset. So the next time after I left, I flossed every day and it still came back. And I was like, well, screw this. Then why am I bothering flossing at all? Why am I bothering? And now I started flossing with baking soda. Like I started putting like, you know, moistening the floss and putting the baking soda. So now every Tuesday, every Tuesday is grooming day. Everybody knows that. Tuesday is grooming day. So now every Tuesday, I floss with baking soda, and those stains haven't come back. So once a week now, I do a massive flossing with baking soda and a massive brushing. And I think once a week, 
for now at least. Flossing, that's sounds good to me. I don't know. I mean, now if you're telling me there's no proof that flossing helps, then what is the point? Doctor keeps saying my teeth are okay, but I think it's up to the individual. I think some people are just hereditarily born with bad teeth and either flossing helps or it doesn't. For me, I'm just trying to keep them white. He keeps telling me to use a whitener, but I don't like those things and I don't know when to put them on because I never know when I'm not going to be eating. You know what I'm talking about. But I like that. I like when they, uh, you know, all that stuff. I tell you, it's all that stuff our parents told us. It's right, Annie, right out of Annie Hall. Jesus, Max, all that stuff our parents told us was good for us. Crap. You know, sun, red meat, college. All that stuff our parents told us was great. It's really funny. I mean, this is one of my jokes. I have that my parents, our parents always told us we need a landline. Got to have a landline. In case of an emergency. In case of an emergency, we got to have a landline. Well, We've seen some emergencies in our time, which our parents never saw coming. 9-11, Hurricane Sandy. First thing that goes, the fucking landline. The only thing working was cell phones though, those two days. Classic. Uh, so it's just like always, everything everybody says, Just I think you just got to do what makes you happy and then just live your life. Because there seems to be no way to win. The one thing they definitely say, though, is bad for you is, is cigarettes. So let's let's agree with that. And cigarettes are disgusting, and I don't care. When I pass somebody that's been smoking, I'm completely grossed out. I remember I told you about that kid that came to my, our live show with Rachel and Marina, and he was like, he smelled like a chimney. It was disgusting. Now, this here's a douchebag. This guy's name is Ronald Corwin. He lives in Westport, Connecticut. He's 75. He's a complete douchebag. This is the guy we've been waiting for that was going to ruin my life and everybody else's because he's a fucking douchebag who lives in Connecticut and he should shut up. This guy is suing the city bike people because he crashed and wasn't wearing a helmet. And like we always say in the show, he's taking a shot. He's taking a shot because city bikes do not require helmets. And I knew that sooner or later... And apparently it only took two years. Somebody was going to ruin it, and then they're going to make us wear helmets. I don't wear a helmet. I know I take a chance every day, but I don't want I don't want to carry around a fucking helmet and look like a retard. I just don't want to do that. So, yes, I'm taking the risk. I know the risks. It's bad, but they're my risks. I'm not going to blame City Bike because I choose not to wear a helmet. So this fucker... Ronald Corwin, asshole, is now ruining it for everybody. You knew it was just going to take one bozo to ruin it. When I go past the cops, I'm like, oh, I don't got to worry. I'm not wearing a helmet because that's not the law. They're trying to not make it the law because they're just like, you know, you want people to just get the city bikes and pay for it. Like, oh, we don't have helmets. Then they're going to lose more money. We got to get this guy. And he's got a business and he, he needs to be stopped. And he can't win this suit, and it shouldn't even be. He lost in the lower courts. They just threw it out. They're like, "Are you a fucking idiot?" But now some appeals are like bringing it back, and this guy has to be stopped. He's an asshole, and he's going to ruin it for everybody. Now, should everybody be wearing helmets on city bikes or on bikes? Absolutely, especially in New York City. I mean, what a mess! I'm a dick for not wearing it, but that's my choice. And if I choose to be an asshole for not wearing a helmet, then that's my choice, and I have to live with the consequences. But I don't think I would take the shot. I don't think I would. I don't want to blame the city bike people for not having a law because I'm an asshole. And that's what this guy is. He's an asshole. 
He doesn't know how to fucking ride a bike. Go back to fucking Connecticut where you came from and don't ride your bike in Manhattan where you don't know your way around. Jerk off. Jerk off Ronald Corwin. You stink. Yeah, I really gave it to that guy pretty good, right? I know I should be wearing a helmet. When I carry a backpack, I could carry a helmet in it, and I should. But a lot of times, I don't want to mess up my hair. You know, it takes me a while to put in my hair. I put in these, like, topic magnetic things, so it looks like I have more hair in the back, and then I um, use gel on it. So I can't put a helmet on when I'm going to work or when I'm going somewhere, but I could put on one home or if I'm traveling somewhere else because I don't want it to mess up my hair. I'm like a girl that way. My Aunt Judy wouldn't even go in the swimming pool because she didn't want to get her hair undone. You know what I mean? She did. That's, that was the one thing. You never splash Aunt Judy. You do not touch Aunt Judy's hair. Everybody knows that. It's the same way with me. My hair is never to be touched. I mean, let alone, you know, if, uh, when I'm with a, a girl and the, the, all that stuff comes out in the bed, it's as embarrassing as it is. My hair color, it's, you know, I've told you how it bleeds to the pillow. It's a, it's a complete embarrassment. I feel bad for my cleaning lady. She's like, what the fuck is this guy doing? Why is everything black? Is his sperm black? What is going on? I wonder if she knows it's my hair color. Because I also have like a, a, a towel that I use for coloring and it's all black. I think she knows it's my hair color because there's hair color like all over. She always has to clean up all the time because it spills all over the place. I hope she knows it's hair color. Maybe I should tell her. I wonder what she thinks I'm up to. Now, Sesame Street, which I'm actually supposed to have, which uh, Memo works on, and I'm supposed to have a part on. We'll talk to Memo about this when we have him on the podcast ever, if he ever comes back from Mexico. God, I hate him. I was so angry that he couldn't be at the show yesterday. We used this guy, Josh Zimmerman. He was excellent, though. In fact, he was better than Memo. Who needs Memo? That was a dick. All right, we love Memo. So Sesame Street's making some changes. Now, you know they moved to HBO. That was a big, big deal. And uh, I know Memo asked me if there, there was like a part. They get, they're getting rid of, they're making a bunch of changes. So they're getting rid of Luis, Bob, and Gordon. You remember these guys? You probably do. Luis, Bob, and Gordon. I mean, these guys have been there forever. Bob McGrath? He's 84. That guy's been there since 69. You know you know this guy. He has been on since the beginning. 69. He's 84. Emilio Delgado. He played Luis since 1971. You know that guy. He's like the janitor or something. And Roscoe Orman, who plays Gordon in 74. Do you, I, did, I don't know if you guys remember. He was the new Gordon. Because there was an old Gordon. I think he died. I don't know whether he died or he left. But he was the new Gordon. And they're all blaming HBO. Are you ready for this? And some, a bunch of douchebags are tweeting, like this guy from Howard Beach, Queens. I don't care about his name. I don't want to be like Ronald Corman where I really want to get this guy. Uh, this is what they're tweeting. Nice way to teach loyalty and respect to kids. Will you have funeral or pretend they went to live happy on a farm? I mean, is this guy kidding? You Are you saying you don't think Sesame Street has been loyal? This guy has had a, a successful television series since 1969. They're on like their 43rd season. Are you saying that's not loyalty? Did, I, really? Are you really angry that you're getting fired and you had a 40-year run? You're getting angry? Fuck you. There are people who would die for security like that, job security. How dare you tweet about loyalty? Yeah, 
they're getting ready. They're making some changes because the Sesame Street was dying. They were going to go off the air if HBO didn't make the deal. Then they'd be fired for sure. But they had a 40-year run. Over 40 years. Are you kidding? You getting angry about that? I think that's pretty fucking loyal. I don't, I don't, you're going to blame HBO. HBO is the reason why Sesame Street's on the air and Sesame Street is not a necessity anymore. There are so many, plenty of kids. I, do kids even watch Sesame Street anymore? Does it, do, do kids watch Channel 13? No, they watch Nick Jr. They watch other stuff. They watch On Demand. Sesame Street is a fossil and doesn't need to be on anymore, but it's still HBO gave them a fighting chance. It's like, like when Taxi... ABC canceled Taxi and NBC took it for another year because they're like, no, let's do it. Family Matters. ABC got rid of it and CBS said, no, we're going to have Urkel save our network for one more year. They got lucky, uh, Sesame Street. So anybody that still has a job, that's great. But if you're telling me that you're getting upset because somebody's firing you after 40 years... I don't know. I mean, it's sad to fire old people, maybe, but you had a, you're an actor, and you had a 40-year run. Please tell me. I don't know what they pay. I know it's public service, but you had a 40-year run on a TV show. I don't think it took a lot out to film. I don't think they tape a lot. You know, they're not in every episode. It's mostly with the puppets. I'm sure you could have made some extra money along the way somewhere else. You have to have money. You have to. Like, I mean, you could make appearances. You're, you're a kid's icon. You know how much money is in kid's shit? Write a book. Don't get angry at HBO because they're trying to save your fucking show. And, you know, I'm sorry. Yeah, we're firing you. Thank you for your 43 years. It's not like you're working at a bank and you get fired after 30 years. Uh, I mean, this is television. No one ever gets that lucky. You're an actor. You, You had this unbelievable break that no one ever gets. Where's where's Robbie Rist? Where's he at now? problem as you can plainly see one minute he's 40 the next he's 33 big john keeps a changing before your very eyes he's 25 and then 19 then 12 years old in size big john little john what a way to grow He drank a little drink And that magic water Is the thing that made him shrink Now even when he's little John He never knows just when Zap, he'll change and rearrange And he's Big John again Well, you know I couldn't help myself. I mean, I just can't help myself. But where's Robbie Ritz? Do you think Robbie Ritz was an actor? I mean, don't you think he would appreciate a... You know how many... I mean, don't you think he'd appreciate a a standard show because then he can still do all his voiceover work and everything? I mean... I don't know. I guess because, um, you know, I mean, I would just love to get 
a show. I, I wouldn't mind being on Sesame. I'm trying to get a job on Sesame Street. Would I be angry if they fired me after 20 years? I think I'd say, hey, thanks for thanks for the loyalty for all this time. I, yeah, I, I get it. I get it. I thought they did replace all those people. Who even knows? I mean, nobody. I don't. I don't think kids watch Sesame Street anymore, do they? I don't know. I don't have any kids, but when I see Lee's kids, they're not watching Sesame Street. They're watching Nick Jr. So I didn't know this because I was watching. Uh, they had a new HR Puffin stuff or something uh, and stuff, and I and I tried to watch it. I wanted to watch it at home because it was this guy Randy Critico who used to know as a comic, and he's now playing HR Puffin stuff. And I don't know why they just don't bring that show back for kids because it was amazing. And uh, I don't know. I'm just uh, I'm just thinking. I was thinking of September, and I was just uh, looking at the dateline. I wanted to point out. So okay, so next week today's the third. So let's say the tenth we do the Godfather uh, podcast. Then we'll have one on the seventeenth, thirty-four, thirty-four. Then then. Okay, then there will be, I never put a podcast out Labor Day weekend, right? So we wouldn't have one on August 31st, and then we'll have one the next week, but then the next week, I don't know, I could still, oh yeah, I'll be able to do a pre-London and a post-London, I think so. Yeah, so as usual, we would only miss the Labor Day as we always do, I pretty much don't i'm not doing anything for my birthday this year you know i usually do something but uh because i just had the godfather show um and just saw all my friends i didn't get to hang out with them though and my birthday comes on a saturday i was just thinking about going to the track i don't know i can't decide you know i usually have a party you know unless it's a unless it's a milestone year then i um then i get depressed but not this year oh no what Oh, before I go, I got to tell you, there's a, a Sherrod, our good friend Sherrod Small has this uh, this show called Black and White with Christian Finnegan, who's a, a good guy too, uh, on A&E, and I watched the uh, premiere on Monday, and Sherrod came up with the most brilliant sketch, and I don't know whether it's on YouTube or if you have to watch the show, it was so funny, he does, he's explaining to Christian, he goes, yeah, well, we were, the, the, the show itself isn't that great, but this one sketch was unbelievable, uh, and he goes, yeah, we're doing this thing where I bring up my comedian friends and we uh, go in my car and we get some coffee. And Christian's like, uh, you mean comedians in cars getting coffee? He goes, yeah, yeah, that's what it is. Uh, that's what I'm doing. I think I might call it that. And uh, he's like, but there already is uh, a show. you know." So then they cut to Sherrod picking up our friend Greer Barnes uh, in the car. And they they just do all the shots, just like it is in Jerry Seinfeld's Comedians in Cars Getting Coffee. It's the exact opening, you know, a picture of the tailpipe, a picture of the car, a picture of some coffee. And then as soon as he turns the key, the cops pull him over. The sirens are, as soon as he turns the key, he hasn't even left. And they pull, and he's like, oh, no, are you kidding? And they pull him out, and him and Greer are on the car with their hands down on the car. The police are frisking them. And then they're having the interview. So you still opening for Louis C.K.? And he goes, yeah, it's been going pretty good. And it's like, I just thought I wrote Gerard and I'm like, dude, that was brilliant. Brilliant. It was really funny and really smart and really not in your face and just uh, really great. So I just wanted to say that. Let's go back. 
just wanted to tell that little tale because uh, it's a good show, Black and White, with Sherrod. Maybe, uh, maybe we should get Sherrod to be a guest. I don't know. I always think about having him open The Godfather, but his comedy's weird. It's mostly talking to the audience. You know, I prefer to have people that are just doing... I don't, I don't want the audience to get involved, you know what I mean, in this particular kind of show. Maybe for the football show, we'll have something just... Oh, by the way, auditions. Auditions for Apollonia. In episode four, auditions for Apollonia at my apartment. Uh, that's ongoing until November. Uh, I'll give uh, any ladies that call in, uh, you know, you want to tweet me, the, the auditions are right here in my apartment. Uh, I don't think that's awkward. So, yeah, uh, please be busty. And uh, you don't have to act. You just have to look the part. And, uh, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll take a look at you and we'll look you over and... Uh, you know, maybe you'll have an opportunity to, to be on stage with the great Dave Juskow. So, yes, auditions are open for the role of Apollonia in The Godfather. Uh, is this is this awkward? I don't, I don't think so. Uh, it's okay. Ladies, please. It's a, I have a cat. Nothing is going to happen that you don't want to happen in front of my cat. So, everybody relax. It's all cool. Cops don't have to get involved. It's just a regular casting couch, just like any other thing. So, if you have any ideas uh, for people to play Apollonia, just send them my way, and we'll get that going. So, we will see you next week with my warm-up of The Godfather. I usually give the intro, here's what happened, here's this happened, and then uh, we'll play The Godfather. So, basically, I will see you with a brand new podcast in two weeks, but please, you gotta listen. Next week, Godfather Episode 3, it's fantastic, you'll love it. I'll see you next time on the Dave Just Got Podcast. Have a great week, everybody. 